Wilson had so many passes at or even behind the line of scrimmage. They just, it almost seems like he's either afraid to open it up or Peyton just doesn't trust him to open it up. And either one, it's like, we know Wilson has an arm, so they got to get that figured out to an extent. And and again, like we're complaining about this as they're on a four game win streak, but it's because, <laughs> you know, you can always get better. And we know, like you said, it's not sustainable when you come up against a better team and you get in like a shootout and you got to pass and you're in third and long, you got to pick up that third and long. They got to be better in, in passing situations. Wilson's got to open it up a little bit more. So I push back a little bit on the running back involvement being an issue. I don't know how much of it is, but I'm with you that they do got to take more shots down the field. Hey, everybody, and welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here playing host, uh, joined by Broncos managing editor, John Heath. Uh, John, happy Thanksgiving to you. Also to all the listeners, happy Thanksgiving. But John, Happy Thanksgiving on this holiday weekend, man. Glad to be back on here with you. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you, Ryan. Hope you have a good one. Good time with family. A lot of fun football to watch this weekend. Taking the two-year-old and the dog uh, five hours to Wisconsin, John. Uh, as you <laughs> know, I moved to Minneapolis. We're taking that. So wish me luck. I don't have to do any meal prepping or I don't have to do anything like that, which I know a lot of people are worried about right now. I just have to worry about getting a two-year-old and a dog five hours to Wisconsin for the weekend. So uh Pray for me, John. Yeah, wish, <laughs> wish me luck. Uh, but to all our listeners out there, super thankful for you all. Uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Leave that five-star review. Rate us. Tell a friend or family member. That's how you can support us. Appreciate you sticking with us as the Broncos make this a season. John, we have a season, right? It's like over a month ago. It was about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than that. We were talking about Caleb Williams, and we could get into that topic now if you want. Caleb, oh boy, Caleb Williams, crying blowing off the media after a really bad game against UCLA or a, a bad loss to UCLA. Oh boy, we could get into Caleb Williams if you want, John. It's not on my it's not in the notes this week, but we could get into it. But now we've got a season to talk about playoffs and all that kind of like isn't this this is a, a better place to be. Yeah, I think coming off four straight wins, being five hundred right in the playoff mix is definitely a better place to be than when the Broncos were one and five. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. And but and like even on Sunday, Ryan, it sure wasn't perfect. Like the offense w- did not look like a well-oiled machine. They were able to move the ball, but they had to settle for five field goals. They kept stalling in the red zone. They weren't very good on third down. There's still plenty to work on. And like Sean Payton keeps saying that, like people ask him, like, are you worried about the team getting complacent? Are you worried about like after this high come crashing down? He's just like, no, because when we watch the film and we talk to players and like we see what we're doing wrong, like, how can you be content with where we are? And I think that's a fair thing. Like, I think players know that, like, yes, we've won these games, but we still can get better and we still have to get better because they can't play like this against better teams and still win. So there's still a lot of work to do. But, like, you can't be mad about a four-game winning streak. Like, a win is a win. It wasn't pretty against the Vikings on Sunday night, but they pulled it out in the end. And kind of similar to that Bills game, it was just like – a win is a win. I'm not going to complain about them uh, pulling it out in the end, even if some things bounce their way. Like that's just football. You got to take advantage of it when the ball does bounce your way. And when it mattered most, like Russell Wilson, once again, and the whole offense, like they they did poorly for most of the game. But when the game was on the line, they got to drive the length of the field, you know, just a couple minutes left in the game. Wilson takes him down the field, throws it up to Cortland Sutton, who once again, make such a fantastic catch. Unbelievable. And they get yeah. it done. Like 
you can play ugly football and win in the NFL. There's plenty of teams that have demonstrated that. So if they get some stuff ironed out, like this, this winning streak is, you know, Broncos fans have a lot to feel grateful for right now, being at this point that we are in the season compared to when we were one and five, like you mentioned, like that, that just seemed like a disaster. And now suddenly here we are in late November and it seems like, you know, the Broncos are right in the mix of it. So I'm I'm super thankful to the Broncos that they turned this around because they're a much more interesting team, a lot more interesting to talk about now. Yep. I don't think we thought we would be having this conversation in week 12 back in week six or whatever it was, right? This is just, yep. uh, we didn't think we would be here. Um, I totally agree with what you're saying, what Sean Payton's saying. The offense doesn't feel, it doesn't feel sustainable, John. I mean, it's just very dink and dunk and then wait for Cortland Sutton to make a spectacular catch recently. Right? It's just like, that's what the offense has been. It's like Russell Wilson, dump it off to the running back. And I just feel like there's so many passes to the running backs in the flat right now. Uh, and I, I actually went back and charted it, right? So during this four game win streak, John, P Ryan, Williams, McLaughlin, they have 37 catches combined. Sutton, Judy and Mims have 38. So during this four-game streak, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Marvin Mims have one more catch than the running backs. And to me, that just that doesn't feel sustainable to me. I, I, I would love to see the Broncos be more of a vertical, throw the ball to their wide receivers kind of team. I think they have the talent to do that. So while I'm excited about the win streak, I'm right with you, John, and I'm right with Sean Payton. The, the way the offense is performing, the defense has been great, and we'll get into that. But the way the offense is performing, I mean... That's why these games where the Broncos are in it and they didn't get, you know, they didn't get manhandled by any means, but it felt like, how the hell did they beat the Vikings? You know, it's like you just feel that way coming out of it because the offense is just so like dink and dunk. And I just feel like they're better. They have personnel to be better than that. So uh, that's one thing that's been bothering me. What do you think about that? I'm curious with you saying that, Ryan, like I want to go back and look at Tom Brady, what even even when he was with the Patriots, but then when he got to the Bucks too, like I feel like he would check down to the running backs a lot and just in trouble, give it to the running back. And it's like a guaranteed four or five yards almost mm-hmm. every time because the running backs so often unaccounted for. It's often good football. It's like often that. good football. It, yes. Yeah. When, when the game's on the line like that, and it's like a two minute drill, like with P Ryan specifically, he's such a good pass blocker and he's such a good receiver out of the backfield. If they're, if the defense is going to give you five, six, seven, eight yards to P Ryan every play, Wilson's fine with taking that and like that game winning drive situation, just marching down the field. So I, I'm not, I don't think the running backs are too involved, but I see your point about pushing it down the field. It definitely like Wilson did actually take a couple shots in this last game, but many of them were not completed. And just in general this season, it seems like he's been extremely hesitant to push the ball down the field. And I don't know, like, I assume it's coaching at least to an extent, like it's either coaching of uh, Sean Payton being like, okay, I don't trust Russell Wilson. So I'm going to give him this really easy dink and dunk stuff that he's not going to mess up. Or it's Sean Payton drilling into Russell Wilson. Hey, when there's two safeties deep, like we got to protect the ball. We got to protect the ball. We got to protect the ball. Do not turn the ball over. Like if it takes dumping it down to the running back or whatever and getting positive yards, that's fine. Protect the ball. And then Wilson has that so ingrained in his head that even when there might be an opportunity, he's just so worried of turning it over that he's just not taking the deep shots that sometimes he maybe should be. So I I assume it's more like a coaching influence, like either directly or indirectly like that, 
than it is Wilson not having the capability because we've seen Wilson has that beautiful moon ball deep pass, so he can do it. It's just a matter of scheming it up, like getting Marvin Mims on go routes. Like that's awesome, but you've got to get him in a position where it's one-on-one or where like the safety is shading over the other side. Cause Cortland Sutton's like running a flag on the opposite side of the field or something. So I do agree with you that the Broncos got to figure out a way to take some more shots, spread it out more, but so long as like in that game winning scenario, just getting your running backs involved to move it down the field. I, like I'm not upset about the running backs being involved in the passing game when it works. But I see your point that they got to open up the offense better because when a team takes that away from you and when you're not being able to score in the red zone, when you're not being able to pick up third long, like, yeah, the Broncos got to get better at their, you know, even even not just like 10 and 15 yard passes like Wilson had so many passes at or even behind the line of scrimmage. They just it almost seems like he's either afraid to open it up or Peyton just doesn't trust him to open up And either one. It's like we know Wilson has an arm, so they got to get that figured out to an extent. And, and again, like we're complaining about this as they're on a four game win streak, but it's because, <laughs> you know, you can always get better. And we know, like you said, it's not sustainable when you come up against a better team and you get in like a shootout and you got to pass and you're in third and long, you got to pick up that third and long. They got to be better in, in passing situations. Wilson's got to open it up a little bit more. So I push back a little bit on the running back involvement being an issue. I don't know how much of it is, but I'm with you that they do got to take more shots down the field. Yeah. And it's just kind of a critical thinking kind of question, right? I mean, they're winning. And to your point, like this is why Russell Wilson's been to multiple Super Bowls, why Tom Brady went to all those Super Bowls, why Patrick Mahomes, these guys will take a flat pass if it's there. That They understand that. That's a better play than forcing it somewhere else. I, I totally agree with that. But and you know, and similarly, when you're playing a team like a Brian Flores defense that's going to send a lot of pressure at you and blitz you, that the flat might be open, right? Um, they're committing more more about bodies to you. You're they're going to leave that open. I think you think about is Russell Wilson bailing on plays too much? It was interesting the dynamic between Wilson and Dobbs, right? Wilson is just going to get the ball out. Um, Dobbs is going to hold it. I, did he learn that from Ben Roethlisberger or something, John? Right? Like it was. In Chris Collinsworth was, was highlighting it a lot on the broadcast. Dobbs would, the Broncos are sending all these bodies at him, and for better or worse, Dobbs is holding the ball, holding the ball. Oh, he's shimmying free. He's still got it. He's extending the play. It was it was fun to watch at times. It I, was fun. Yeah, really but it's plays. true. He doesn't bail. He doesn't bail. Uh, he's very interesting. Very Ben Roethlisberger esque. Hold the ball. Let something develop. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Uh, but Russell Wilson's not that guy. It's it's an interesting little dynamic, and uh, you wonder if that is sustainable too. But uh, yeah, I, I think one thing that was interesting as well on the offensive side, John, is Flores was sending pressure and he was spying Russell Wilson, right? They were taking the scramble out of the game too. Uh, th- that was not a scramble game for Wilson. Uh, you could just see the Vikings had those guys. They had that layer running at the line of scrimmage when Wilson even thought about running. So maybe that's another reason why the checkdowns were there. Uh, Wilson didn't have the scramble in this one, but uh yeah, a fascinating game, but another one where you tip your cap to the defense, right, John? They continue to make plays. Josh Dobbs, the only thing you could say about him, he's a great story, but he will throw you a few. He threw quite a few to the Broncos, didn't he? And they they did make some plays on him. Yeah, I, the Vikings were so silly trying to be so cute, having the tight end go under center and pitch it to their running back. Like, you really want to do a read option with the quarterback being a running back? Okay. And Baron Browning comes behind him starts ripping the ball out and then cream Jackson just hits him and it forces that fumble 
and McMillan recovered it. It's the second week in a row McMillan has uh, recovered a fumble on the on the first defensive series of the game, and then later McMillan got an interception. So he just he continues to be such a fantastic slot cornerback for him or for Denver and the the defensive turnaround for the Broncos. McMillan has been such a huge part of that. Like he has been such a gem. He was an undrafted guy last year. Basically, the whole season he was on the practice squad. And then out of nowhere in their season finale, uh, they, they pull him up from the practice squad and start him. And he should have had an interception in that game. They ruled it that it hit the ground, but it sure looked like he got his fingers under it on the replay. So he should have had his first interception in his first career game. But anyway, you fast forward to this season, a couple games into the year, they they bench Bassey and they start McMillan and he's never looked back. Like I said this a couple of weeks ago, I'm not saying he is Chris Harris. But just being that short, fast, aggressive slot cornerback, a playmaker, always all around the ball, like it just reminds me of like, man, it looks like the Broncos have their next great slot cornerback. And that, that's just fantastic. They still probably need another long term outside guy across from per- Pat Sertan. But when you have the the slot locked down like that, it it's going to help any defense make any defense better. So the the Broncos now they have 12 turnovers in their last three games. And that's fantastic. And, and at some point you think like a little bit of that is luck. And at some point it's going to dry up and the Broncos can't keep counting on these turnovers to win games. But for now they're riding the wave and they're about to play another rookie quarterback. So maybe it will continue for at least one, one more week. And so we, we have to, we've been given the defense kudos for this winning streak. And once again, they definitely deserve it for being a huge part of that win against the Vikings. Yeah. The, the 12 takeaways in three games there, you feel some regression coming there, right? That's not, yeah. that, that's going to happen. That's sustainable. That's going to happen. Uh, I think one of these takeaways in the, in the game against the Vikings uh, stands out among the others. You mentioned that the cream Jackson hit, he suspended it. Is he suspended again, John? I mean, maybe yeah, I could- he's suspended four games. We're recording this before his appeal. So it might get reduced to two. That's what happened earlier this season. But as of we're recording, he has a four-game suspension. So he's going to be at least out a couple games, whether it's appealed successfully or not. Yeah, and, and you wonder with the, the repeat offender thing, like if they're going to even play ball on the uh, on the appeal. But yeah. we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, the most interesting thing about this, this play, John, was, well, number one, the fact that Dobbs was a runner – Right, because this was the cute play where they put the tight end at quarter. Like you mentioned this thing, right? So Dobbs was a running back on this play. Uh, one thing that's been really interesting is the Broncos' defensive players coming out in defense of Jackson for this play. Right? They have been outspoken. I don't know if I agree with them, just because Kareem Jackson led with the crown of his helmet into like the yeah. throat area. So it's like yeah. that. That one's hard to. I, again, I don't see him winning this appeal. Uh, I don't, and I think Jackson. You you just got to know that they're. They are, yeah. To and to some of the players' point, like Justin Simmons said something. Did Sertan say something too, John? There was like some players were were tweeting about this, and I, I get it. They're sticking up yeah. for their guy, but they're absolutely right. He is Kareem Jackson's number is being targeted by the refs. They're watching him, and he's got to know that, and he's got to be taking steps to like not have illegal hits and not get suspended anymore. And the fact that it happened in his first game back is like, oh God, come on, Kareem. You know what's your what's your thought on that? Not only the the hit, John, but the Broncos defenders coming out, the actual his teammates, I should say, coming out and defending him. 
Yeah, I I like like you said that they are defending him. Like I I think it's good for like you know teammates to stick together and stick up for their guy and stuff. I do like that, but I don't necessarily agree with them. Like Justin Simmons showed a play from earlier this season where he said he did a similar hit as Jackson, and he wants it penalized and he wants it fined. But like if you watch that play slowly, Simmons kind of keeps his head up. He leads with his shoulder and he goes low. And the, the ball carrier goes low as well, so it ends up being a little bit higher than Simmons may have intended. But from the very start, like you can tell Simmons was intending to go low the whole way, in my opinion. But on Sunday night, Kareem Jackson, like you said, he was a, he was fined four times. He was ejected twice. He was suspended for two games. And so all that discipline, immediately he comes right back off that he launches himself head first. He doesn't keep his head up. He doesn't put his head to the side. It's not a shoulder. And like some people were saying, uh, you know, protect quarterback, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't come into play because like you said, he was a ball carrier. So it's not a hit on a defenseless receiver or a defenseless ball carrier or whatever. That's not the problem. The problem is leading with your helmet and the head and neck area, like, you can never launch yourself head first into the head and neck area of an opponent, like regardless of if they're defenseless or not. Tom Brady's complaining about it. Teammates are complaining about it, how, you know, the NFL is getting soft, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, OK, yes, the NFL is a different game than five years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah, I get that. But the rules are the rules. They're never going to go back on the, you know, this rules that have been put in with safety in mind. They're not going to go back on. I, I do feel for Cream Jackson a little bit because, like you said, there is a target on him now. Like, the, they are watching him more. And, like, if that was Justin Simmons that did that same thing, maybe only Justin Simmons would be fined. And they would say, like, well, that's a double standard. But it's really not because Cream Jackson is a repeat offender. He's been fined over and over and over. He was ejected twice. Now this is the second time he's been suspended. Like, when you are a repeat offender, there's going to be a target on you. And Kareem Jackson, he just has to know that. And, like, the biggest thing is Browning was already pulling that ball out. So I think it was already a fumble before Jackson got there. If Jackson goes low, like, it's not nice to go low on someone's knees or whatever, but, like, that's within the NFL rules, whereas, like, the chest, head, neck area, you're much more likely to get a chest, head, neck penalty or suspension aiming for the chest than you are aiming for the knees or the waist or even the ankles. Like he can definitely take out his ankles, especially with the way Baron Browning was coming behind him. And he, and uh, Dobbs would not have fallen forward for a first down like cream Jack or excuse me, Justin Simmons was like, how are you supposed to make this play and prevent the ball barrier from falling forward? And I was like, dude, Baron Browning's like already behind him pulling the ball out. If Jackson takes out his ankles, he's not getting a first down. He's still, He's still fumbling it. He's not getting a first down. That ball is still coming out, whether Jackson hits him high or hits him low. So I think the biggest thing is he's just got to stop going high. He just keeps launching himself high, and he's just he has to get it in his head. Like, I can go low, make a big hit, like in the thighs, wrap up, and bring him down. And, like, I know he wants to knock him back. He wants to knock him out. Well, not literally, like, knock him unconscious, but, like, he wants to knock the ball out. I assume, like, I assume that's why he's doing that. And so I know going low doesn't have the same impact, but when you keep getting disciplined over and over, and when you're literally hurting your team now, like you got to learn from it. And he's just, I'm, I'm sorry for how much I rambled on this, 
But long story short, he's just got to start hitting lower. Going back to Tom Brady, the thing he said about Tom Brady, Tom is allowed to say whatever he wants because when he was playing in the early 2000s, I mean, his helmet could get knocked off on a headshot and then you just he would just pick up his helmet, John, and keep playing. This is how they played back then. It was ridiculous. Peyton Manning probably has the same kind of stories, right? These guys would literally get their heads knocked off, pick up the helmet, put it back on, and go play the next down, and there'd be no flag. So yeah, Brady, I'm sure, is just like... <laughs> these he can't he probably can't stand this thing he's like these guys who get their heads knocked off just like mine but anyway uh if alexander madison was the ball carrier on that play do you think kareem jackson is still suspended right now if that was a running back and not joshua dobbs do you think that changes the narrative here that's a really good question i i think if it's the exact same scenario where dobbs is the one under center and he does the read option pitch to Madison and Jackson comes flying in like that, leaves his feet, goes head first into Madison's head or neck area. I still think that the NFL would be like, dude, we've told you so many times to not do this. You come right back and do it again. We're suspending you to get a point across. And like I said, if it once in Jackson, if it was like Justin Simmons or Alex Singleton or whatever, I think it would be just a fine. I think he's getting suspended because he's a repeat offender, but I don't think it was like, Oh, you hit a quarterback like that. How dare you? I think it was just you can't launch yourself headfirst into an opponent high like that. You keep doing it. You did it again. Regardless if it's a running back or a quarterback, we're punishing you for that. Yep, I agree. It's the crown of the helmet. It's the crown of the helmet. Uh, that's that's where he's going to get it. And I again, i not feeling great about this appeal, but we'll see what happens there. Broncos Wire will, of course, have that covered. Uh, coming up next, a six-pack of Thanksgiving Day-themed questions for John Heath, who's barely been prepped on these. That'll be fun, John, for you. Get ready. Buckle up, John. Coming after you with these questions. Some hard hitters. Just kidding. Uh, but first, let's get some Week 12 fantasy advice from TheHuddle.com. Corey Bonini with TheHuddle.com here to bring you fantasy football strong plays for Week number 12. Quarterback Gardner Minshew, Indianapolis Colts versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Coming out of the bye week, Minshew will be at home taking on a Bucks defense that has allowed the fourth most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks on the season. No team has given up more per game in the last five weeks. Every quarterback but rookie Will Levis has posted at least 250 yards and 22 fantasy points in that time. Three of those guys went for 30 or more points, and Josh Allen is the only name on that list anyone drafted as a quarterback one. Minshew should be a rock-solid starter this week. Running back Isaiah Pacheco, Kansas City Chiefs at Las Vegas Raiders. In the last five games, the Raiders have allowed 594 rushing yards and five ground scores, giving up five catches for 42.8 yards through the air in that time. One of those 25 receptions found the end zone as well. Pacheco's opponent has allowed 12 double-digit PPR producers on the air, and he is poised to make it a baker's dozen. Wide receiver Brandon Cooks, Dallas Cowboys versus Washington Commanders. Fresh off his best game in years, Cooks wasn't needed versus Carolina as the Cowboys scored 33 points with him catching just three passes for 42 yards. He has been a little erratic and reliant on finding the end zone in the past five weeks, but three of his outings in that time have gone for at least 14 PPR points. He should feast on a Washington defense that has surrendered a touchdown per game on average in the last five contests. And 16 wide receivers have produced double-digit fantasy points, with nine of them going for at least 18. Tight end Kate Auden, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Indianapolis Colts. With at least four receptions in four of his last five games, Auden is a solid play against the Colts, who have given up 16.2 PPR points per game to tight ends over the last five weeks. For context, in that time, this matchup is 30.1% easier than the league average. Give him a look if you have an underperforming starter or an injured star. Happy Thanksgiving from everyone at The Huddle. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. 
All right, we're back. Uh, as I mentioned, a Thanksgiving-infused six-pack to get us ready for the holiday weekend. John, you ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. All right, question number one. Do fans now have the most sway, John, with social media and all this and the chanting in the stands and all the access they have? Do fans now have the most sway with firing a coach or coordinator than any other era in NFL history? Because we've now seen Ken Dorsey and Matt Canada get fired here in recent weeks. I would say probably, but I still would think it's not like they have a lot of sway. But if you're going back to like the 60s when the Broncos were in the AFL days, like I don't think, you know, didn't really matter if fans didn't like the offensive coordinator, like they were going to do what they want. But now, like you said, with social media, with, you know, TV media, with fans chanting in the stands, like you mentioned, you hear it more. And as you hear it and hear it and hear it, it can kind of grind you down, grind you down, you just get sick of it. And you're like, okay, like we got to do something just because of the pressure building up. So I, I think it's probably fair to say, you know, pressure from fans can be felt more now than it ever been in any other NFL era. But I still think teams, you know, I, I don't think they would necessarily make a decision just because of pressure from fans, if that makes sense. Yep. That makes sense. But I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I think teams are feeling that pressure from fans and maybe acting sooner rather than later sometimes on pressure from fans. I think Bill's fans had the pitchforks out for Ken Dorsey. He gets fired. Steelers fans have been chanting fire Canada. Mike Tomlin, if they see him in the grocery store, if they see him at the, the stadium, John, wherever they see him, it's fire Canada. He fires Canada after a bad offensive game against the Browns, which that team will talk about here coming up. Uh, but I think it speaks volumes of Sean Payton and the Broncos. It's part of the reason I asked this question. I mean, Broncos fans were chanting for Vance Joseph. I was chanting for Vance Joseph. Get Vance out of here. In the beginning of the year, the Broncos did not fire Vance Joseph, John. They kept him. They made some, you know, just roster decisions, and it might have saved their season. So I, I think just flowers to Sean Payton and the Broncos. They did not give in to that pressure, but uh, other teams, I think, have. You could make the argument that they have. Question number two, where do you rank Thanksgiving on the list of major holidays each year? Uh, if not number one, then like 1A. The only reason that I would have Christmas higher was just because – like I know that all the family, my family is going to be able to get together for Christmas. So that makes it ranks really high. But like the family element aside, I'm still going to get a lot of family together on Thanksgiving. We're going to have really good food and you could just sit back with family and watch football all day. And I love fall weather. Like I like to ski and stuff in winter, but I'd rather have fall than like winter and it'd be even colder. So Thanksgiving is probably number one for me just because I love the weather. It's family time, good food, good football. It's just a fun time of year. So probably one, if like taking out like the fact that family can all get be there for Christmas, I'm pretty sure of that. Thanksgiving would be number one. I'm not a huge Christmas guy. Uh, Just the thought of going out and buying people presents right now, John, is already giving me stress and anxiety. So (laughs) I just like the, the gift giving part. I'm not like... That's not my love language. I know some people love that stuff. Not really for me. Fourth of July, everyone's shooting off their fireworks and scaring my dog, waking up my kid. Uh, and they do that for the whole week at like 3 a.m. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't stand all of you doing that. So stop it. Especially my neighbors. <laughs> stop doing that. I hate Fourth of July. I <laughs> know that's very American to say. Uh, <laughs> New Year's always kind of a letdown, right? You always have big New Year's plans. I did go to Vegas for New Year's in 2012. That was probably my best New Year's ever. Uh, but other than that, always a letdown. I'm a big Thanksgiving guy. Family, food, football, in that order. I'm with you, John. Thanksgiving, number one. Uh, question number three. 
We have Black Friday football this year, right? So along with the three games on Thanksgiving, we also have a game on Friday in kind of a weird spot at 2 p.m. Central, right in the middle of the day. Are you thumbs up or thumbs down on a Black Friday football game? I'm totally thumbs up for it. Like for people that have to work the game, it might be kind of annoying, but just as a casual fan, as someone who is – I, I still have to work on Black Friday, but just if someone has Black Friday off and you have like family over for like the Thanksgiving weekend and then, oh, look, there's another NFL game today. And even if you're not just going to sit down and pay close attention just to have it on the background, I'm totally for that on a Black Friday. Yeah, I'm usually in the camp of more football is better than less football, yeah. you know, but I just I'm not sure I'm going to get back to you on this one. Just the the time slot on Friday. Now, this is when kids are not in daycare. They're not in school on that Friday, John. So am I going to be able to really sit down? Maybe I could get Julian down for his nap in time for kickoff and maybe watch Miami beat the crap out of the Jets a little bit. I would enjoy that. That'd be a good Friday for me. But I'm not one of these people in the stores and doing the Black Friday thing. It's it's all online for me at this point. Uh, I'm not waiting those lines with the crazies. So uh, yeah, I should be home. Hopefully I can watch some of this game. I'm in for it. Why not? Question number four. John, give us the player or coach if you want that Broncos country will be most thankful for over the team's final seven games. You gave me a heads up of this before the podcast and I was thinking through it and I kind of went outside the box. I, I think it's someone that you will not expect, but I picked Quinn Miners because he has done, he, he's their left guard or excuse me, their right guard. And he's done such a phenomenal job and back to back games, they played in prime time and he was just out there like pancake pancaking guys and like throwing linebackers. Yep. And it got a lot of attention. And like as someone who watches the Broncos every week, I'm like, yeah, this is Quinn Miners. That's what he does. But like a national TV audience, now they've seen that. And I think now Quinn Miners, because he did that in prime time and got the attention of like a general NFL fan, I think he could get his first Pro Bowl nod this year. And like I know the Broncos with Javante Williams and their running game their best course of action is running right behind Quinn Miners. Like he is just a road grader. And I know that Sean Payton, he wants to establish the run. He wants to pound teams into the ground, protect Russell Wilson from himself and just win games controlling the clock. And to do that, to have Javante Williams get 20 or more touches and and get your other running backs involved and establish a running game, you need a good offensive line. I think Quinn Miners is their most crucial interior offensive lineman he's done a fantastic job Javante Williams always does well running behind him so I think it's if Javante Williams finishes the season well and if the Broncos finish the season running the ball well and if they're able to eat up clock and kind of run teams into the ground Quinn Miners is going to be a huge part of that and so people may not necessarily notice it you wouldn't notice it as much as you would notice like if Javante Williams has a good finish to the season but a big part of that is Quinn Miner. So kind of a, a very underrated player to pick for something like that. But I think he's going to be really key to if, if Denver has success here to wrap up the season. I think he's going to be a key part of it. I like that pick, John. That's not one I would have thought of, but you're a lot smarter than me. So that was the smart pick. Let me give you the, the less smart pick. I went with Marvin Mims just because his snap counts are up since the buy, but the targets aren't really there. And I just think if they kind of goes back to that conversation about getting the wide receivers the ball a little bit more. Uh, if they could find a way to get this guy more involved in in the offense, I think it'll be a net positive. He's killing it oh, in the yeah. kicking game. Killing it in the kicking game. 
Uh, can we just figure out a way to get him a few more balls a game, give him some opportunities, maybe call some plays specifically for him and just get the offense going, give him another little something where it's just yep. not going horizontal. You know what I mean? Not just, yep. I, I, I don't completely know. endorse yep. that. Ryan. Yep. I'm with you. Yep. Uh, so I'm, I'm on the, the Marvin Mims hype train. I think if they can get him the ball more, and especially with his work in the return game, we'll be we'll be thankful for that player. And the and the Broncos will still um, they'll have a little bit of something, a little bit of juice heading towards the playoffs. Uh, speaking of that, here's question number five, John. How many wins do you think the Broncos finish with in the regular season? Brandon Walker, a Broncos Wire contributor, and I we both did a list breaking down all the Broncos games left with score predictions, and we both ended up ten and seven. We didn't intentionally try to do that, but we both. But the way we saw the games breaking down, we both predicted 10 and 7. So I'm sticking with that. I I may be a little too optimistic, a little delusional, but 10 wins, 7 losses is my official prediction. So I'm sticking with that. What color were the goggles when you guys made those picks? <laughs> they you were and orange and blue. <laughs> they were, they were. wearing them. I can't deny it. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought you guys both picked them to sweep the Chargers, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, I, I For some reason, I think, can we split with the Chargers? You guys have them sweeping the Chargers. I, I like that. Uh, yeah, 10 wins for you guys. I'm a little under that number. I think, I think, you know, I'm under eight, nine wins, maybe missing the playoffs. That's where I've been on the Broncos. I'm not, if I see the offense tick it up a little bit, I might change my mind, but right now I'm just not quite there. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of crap. I saw you both had 10 wins. And I, was like, <laughs> I, think, 10 wins? I think that's fair, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I think you're taking the more, uh, neutral, less yep. emotional approach and we are definitely looking at it with our yep. orange and blue glasses. Yeah, my, so my goggles. I think that's fair, but I'm still sticking with my prediction. As you should. But yeah, my my goggles don't have the same tint as you as you and Brandon. <laughs> they're they're uh, purple now. They're yeah, no longer yeah, minor, red and blue. Minor purple. Minor purple. Your Broncos beat my Vikings. I'm very upset. That was but that was a very good game. And the Broncos, they deserved it. And my pick was right because I picked the Vikings to cover. So I'm I'm still there. I, I still I still got my I still get my flowers for that one, John. All right, so let's close it out here. Question number six, the Broncos. This is just our normal game question, John. The Broncos, two and a half point favorites at home against the Browns. Are the Broncos a good bet to cover that number against arguably the best defense in football right now? The Browns have been excellent against the pass. What do you think? I myself am backing the Broncos to win this week, but you specifically said, is it a good bet? And I would say no. Like I, I would not <laughs> recommend to say, you know, pretty pick them to win this, pick them to cover that spread. Especially after last week, I said uh, they'd cover that Vikings one, then they end up winning by only one point. So they did not cover, even though they did win. So I'm probably not the one to ask for advice on that. And even if I was, I would just, I don't like doing this because it feels like a cop-out, but I would say just stay away from that game in general because it it scares me. Like you said, the Browns, they have such a good defense and the Broncos defense in recent weeks, they've been playing so well, but if they have one weakness, it's defending the run. And the only thing that Cleveland's offense is good at is running the ball. They have a young rookie quarterback now, Deshaun Watson's out for the year, but they can still pound the rock. And so I'm worried that if the Browns can run over the Broncos a little bit and the Broncos have to play catch up, they have to throw the ball. Miles Garrett is, you know, just destroying Mike McGlinchey in passing situations. Russell Wilson's getting sacked right and left. Like I could see a scenario definitely where the Broncos lose this game. I'm I'm predicting that they're going to win this, but is it a good bet? No, I wouldn't say that it's a good bet that they're going to. Yep, I agree 100%. I think a better bet would be the money line, but to have them cover the two and a half, it's kind of like that Vikings game we talked about last week. It just feels kind of like a coin flip kind of spot. And it's when you're, it's a coin flip. And you, I think the Broncos are just giving up 
a little bit too much at two and a half. So I would probably lean Browns on the spread just because, I mean, their defense leads the league in fewest completions allowed. They lead the league in opponent completion percentage. They lead the league in opponent passing yards allowed per game. Uh, and quarterbacks have rushed for just 13.8 yards per game against them. So it's not going to be a big scramble game. It's not going to be a big Russell Wilson passing game. It's going to be a struggle. And, oh, by the way, the Broncos have failed to cover in 11 straight games as favorites against AFC opponents. They don't usually cover the spread. So I would definitely lean towards uh, the Browns on that number. Uh, maybe I'd look at the under, John. The total is at 36 and a half, and I yeah. think low scoring. You know, you mentioned Dorian Thompson-Robinson starting for the Browns. I don't think the Broncos are going to score a ton of points either. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, – it's one of those games I don't think the books can make the line low enough. I would probably yeah. lean under in that one. Yeah, 36 and a half is such a low number. It's hard to say to go below that, but I definitely see what you're saying because the, the Browns are the kind of team that they just beat the Steelers 13 to 10. And the Broncos, like they have been scoring more points than that, but they haven't been playing the Browns defense. So I, I do think the Browns defense could give them a lot of uh, a lot of trouble on Sunday. And then I think the the Broncos' own defense, how they've been playing, all the turnovers they've been creating, you would think against Thompson Robinson, they hopefully be able to force some again on Sunday. So I I don't know. It's really tough. If if I had to pick one, I guess I would pick under. But I like I said before, I'm just worried the Browns are able to run the ball on Denver's defense and even just like two rushing touchdowns and then you add a field goal and say the Broncos get two rushing touchdowns and a field goal doing quick math <laughs> like I it's tough 36 and a half is a low number but I guess I guess I would say under it just because like you said it could be a very ugly defensive battle I could see that happening yeah and when a number gets this low I mean the books they're even if the books project the game at like 25 they're not going to put the number that low they're going to stop in the yeah. in the mid 30s so it just screams at like one of those you know both teams running the ball clock running type of deal good defense on both sides both defenses are red hot broncos are playing excellent on defense uh yeah i could see i could see this one being a very low scoring slog and but we're here for it we'll see if the broncos can win a fifth straight game john can you believe that that'd be pretty sweet um we're here for it uh once again john happy thanksgiving to you man great to talk to you as always you too ryan i appreciate it i appreciate you doing this podcast every week um I, I appreciate Broncos Wire readers who read the site and listen to this podcast. You know, I, like I said before, I am grateful that the Broncos have seemingly turned this season around. It's made things a lot more interesting. So I'm thankful for you, Ryan, for readers and for the Broncos. I hope you guys all have a really good Thanksgiving. Yep. I echo that to all our listeners um, as well. We appreciate you. Thankful for you. If you could subscribe, leave a review, five-star rating, Tell, tell us all how much you love John in the review session uh, section and how much you hate O'Leary, all that. that That's a great way to do it. Uh, and tell a friend or whatever. That's how you could support us. And we're thankful and appreciative of all of that. For John, I'm Ryan O'Leary. We'll catch you next week. 